CD 9. Detritus, you haven't got time to ooze. Get over to the tower. Take some people with you. Vimes reached the doorway of the Great Hall, with the patrician over his shoulder and Carrot stumbling along behind him. The wizards were clustered around the door. Big, heavy drops of rain were beginning to fall, hissing on the hot stones. Ridcully rolled up his sleeves. Hells, bells, what did that to his leg? That's the godden for you. Sort him out, and Corporal Carrot too. There's no need, said Vetinari, trying to smile and stand up. It's just a flesh whoop. The leg collapsed under him. Bimes blinked. He'd never expected this. The patrician was the man who always had the answers, who was never surprised. Bimes had a sense that history was flapping loose. We can handle it, sir, said Carrot. I've got the men on the roofs, and... Shut up, stay there, that's an order. Vimes fumbled in his pouch and hung his badge on his torn jacket. Hey, you, Pajama, I need a sword. Pajama looked sullen. I only take orders from Corporal Carrot. Give me a sword right now, you horrible little man. Right, thank you. Now, let's get to the tower. A shadow appeared in the doorway. Detritus walked in. They looked at the limp shape in his hands. He laid it carefully on a bench without saying a word and went and sat in a corner. While the others gathered around the mortal remains of Acting Constable Cuddy, the troll removed his homemade cooling helmet and sat staring at it, turning it over and over in his hands. He was on the floor, said Sergeant Colon, leaning against the doorframe. He must have been pushed off the stairs right at the top. Someone else was in there too. Must have shinned down a rope and caught me a right bang on the side of the head. Being pushed down the tower's not worth it for a shilling, said Carrot, vaguely. It was better than when the dragon came, thought Vimes. After it had killed someone, it was at least still a dragon. It went somewhere else, but you could say, that's a dragon, that is. It couldn't nip over a wall and become just another person. You always knew what you were fighting. You didn't have to... What's that in Cuddy's head? he said. He realised he'd been staring at it without seeing it for some time. He tugged at it. It was a strip of black cloth. Assassins wear that, said Colon blankly. So do lots of other people, said Ridcully. Black's black. You're right, said Vimes. Taking any action on the basis of this would be premature. You know, it'd probably get me fired. He waved the cloth in front of Lord Vetinari. Assassins everywhere, he said, on guard. Seems they didn't notice anything, eh? You gave them the bloody gun because you thought they were the best to guard it? You never even thought of giving it to the guards? Aren't we going to give chase, Corporal Carrot? said Pyjama. Chase who? Chase where? said Vimes. He hit old Fred on the head and did a runner. He could trot around a corner, chuck the god over the wall and who'd know? We don't know who we're looking for. I do, said Carrot. He stood up, holding his shoulder. It's easy to run, he said. We've done a lot of running, but that's not how you hunt. You hunt by sitting still in the right place. Captain, I want the sergeant to go out there and tell people we've got the killer. What? His name is Edward Deeth. Say we've got him in custody. Say he was caught and badly injured, but he's alive. But we haven't. He's an assassin. We haven't. Yes, Captain, I don't like telling lies, but it might be worth it. Anyway, it's not your problem, sir. It isn't? Why not? You're retiring in less than an hour. I'm still captain right now, Corporal, so you have to tell me what's going on. That's how things work. We haven't got time, sir. Do it, Sergeant Colon. Carrot, I still run the watch. I'm the one supposed to give the orders. Carrot hung his head. 
Sorry, Captain. Right, so long as that's understood. Sergeant Colon? Sir. Put out the news that we've arrested Edward de Eth, whoever he is. Yes, sir. And your next move, Mr. Carrot? said Vimes. Carrot looked at the assembled wizards. Excuse me, sir? Ooh. First, we need to get into the library. First, said Vimes, someone could lend me a helmet. I don't feel I'm at work without a helmet. Thanks, Fred. Right. Helmet. Sword. Badge. Now. There was a sound under the city. It filtered down by all sorts of routes, but it was indistinct. A hive noise. And there was the faintest of glows. The waters of the Ark, to use the element in its broadest sense, had washed, to bend the definition to its limit, these tunnels for centuries. Now there was an extra sound. Footsteps padded over the silt, barely perceptible, unless ears had become accustomed to the background noise. And an indistinct shape moved through the gloom, paused at a circle of darkness leading to a smaller tunnel. "'How do you feel, your lordship?' said Corporal Nobbs, the upwardly mobile. "'Who are you?' "'Corporal Nobbs, sir,' said Nobby, saluting. "'Do we employ you?' "'Yes, sir.' "'Ah, you're the dwarf, are you?' "'No, sir. That was the late Cuddy, sir. "'I'm one of the human beings, sir.' "'You're not employed as the result of any special hiring procedures?' "'No, sir,' said Nobby proudly. "'My word,' said the patrician. "'He was feeling a little light-headed from loss of blood. "'The Arch-Chancellor had also given him a long drink of something he said "'was a marvellous remedy, although he'd been unspecific as to what it cured.' Verticality, apparently. It was wise to remain sitting upright, though. It was a good idea to be seen to be alive. A lot of inquisitive people were peering around the door. It was important to ensure that rumours of his death were greatly exaggerated. Corporal self-proclaimed human knobs and some other guards had closed in around the patrician on Captain Vimes's orders. Some of them were a lot bulkier than he rather muzzily remembered. "'You there, my man!' "'Have you taken the king's shilling?' he inquired of one. "'I never took nothing. "'Capital. Well done.' And then the crowds scattered. Something golden and vaguely dog-like burst through, growling, its nose close to the ground, and was gone again, covering the ground to the library in long, easy strides. The patrician was aware of conversation. "'Fred?' "'Yes, Nobby?' "'Did that look a bit... Uh, "'Familiar to you? I know what you mean,' Nobby fidgeted awkwardly. "'You should have bawled her out for not being in uniform,' he said. "'Bit tricky, that. If I had run through here without me clothes on, "'you'd find me half a dollar for being improperly dressed.' "'Here's half a dollar, Nobby. Now shut up.' Lord Vetinari beamed at them. Then there was the guard in the corner, another of the big lumpy ones. "'Still all right, your lordship?' said Nobby. "'Who's that, um, gentleman?' he followed the patrician's gaze. "'That's Detritus, the troll, sir. "'Why is he sitting like that?' "'He's thinking, sir. "'He hasn't moved for some time. "'He thinks slow, sir.' Detritus stood up. There was something about the way he did it, some hint of a mighty continent beginning a tectonic movement that would end in the fearsome creation of some unscalable mountain range— which made people stop and look. Not one of the watchers was familiar with the experience of watching mountain building, but now they had some vague idea of what it was like. It was like Detritus standing up, with Cuddy's twisted axe in his hand. 
but deep sometimes, said Nobby, eyeing various possible escape routes. The troll stared at the crowd as if wondering what they were doing there, then, arms swinging, he began to walk forward. Acting Constable Detritus, um, as you were, Colon ventured. Detritus ignored him. He was moving quite fast now in the deceptive way that lava does. He reached the wall and punched it out of the way. Has anyone been giving him sulphur? said Nobby. Colon looked around at the guard. Lance Constable Borksite, Lance Constable Coalface, apprehend Acting Constable Detritus. The two trolls looked first at the retreating form of Detritus, and then at one another, and finally at Sergeant Colon. Borksite managed a salute. Permission for leave to attend Grandmother's funeral, sir? Why? It's her or me, Sarge. We get our Guhulug heads kicked in, said Coalface, the less circuitous thinker. A match flared. In the sewers, its light was like a nova. Vimes lit first his cigar and then a lamp. Dr. Cruces, he said. The chief of assassins froze. Corporal Carrot here has a crossbow too, he said. I'm not sure if he'd use it. He's a good man. He thinks everyone else is a good man. I'm not. I'm mean, nasty and tired. And now, Doctor, you've had time to think you're an intelligent man. What were you doing down here, please? It can't be to look for the mortal remains of young Edward, because our Corporal Nobbs has taken him off to the watch morgue this morning, probably nicking any small items of personal jewellery he had on him. But that's just Nobby's way. He's got a criminal mind as our Nobby. But I'll say this for him. He hasn't got a criminal soul. I hope he's cleaned the clown makeup off the poor chap. Dear me, you used him, didn't you? He killed poor old Beano, and then he got the gun, and he was there when it killed Hammerhock. He even left a bit of his Beano wig in the timbers. And just when he could have done with some good advice, such as to turn himself in, you killed him. The point, the interesting point, is that young Edward couldn't have been the man on the tower a little while ago, not with the stab wound in his heart and everything. I know that being dead isn't always a barrier to quiet enjoyment in this city, but I don't think young Edward has been up and about much. The piece of cloth was a nice touch, but you know, I've never believed in that stuff. Footprints in the flower bed, telltale buttons, stuff like that. People think that stuff's policing. It's not. Policing's luck and slog most of the time. But lots of people would believe it. I mean, he's been dead, what, not two days? And it's nice and cool down here. You could haul him up, I dare say. You could fool people who didn't look too close once he was on a slab. And you'd have got the man who shot the patrician. Mind you, half the city would be fighting the other half by then, I dare say. Some more deaths would be involved. I wonder if you'd care. He paused. You still haven't said anything. You have no understanding, said Cruces. Yes, de F was right. He was mad, but he was right. About what, Dr. Cruces, said Vimes. And then the assassin was gone, diving into a shadow. Oh, no, said Vimes. A whisper echoed around the man-made cavern. Captain Vimes... One thing a good assassin learns is... There was a thunderous explosion and the lamp disintegrated. Never stand near the light. Vimes hit the floor and rolled. Another shot hit a foot away and he felt the splash of cold water. There was water under him too, 
The Ark was rising, and in accordance with laws older than those of the city, the water was finding its way back up the tunnels. Carrot, Vimes whispered. Yes? The voice came from somewhere in the pitch blackness to his right. I can't see a thing. I lost my night vision lighting that damn lamp. I can feel water coming in. We, Vimes began, and stopped as he formed a mental picture of the hidden cruces aiming at a patch of sound. I should have shot him first, he thought. He's an assassin. He had to raise himself slightly to keep his face out of the rising water. Then he heard a gentle splashing. Cruces was walking towards them. There was a scratching noise, and then light. Cruces had lit a torch, and Vimes looked up to see the skinny shape in the glow. His other hand was steadying the gun. Something Vimes had learned as a young guard drifted up from memory. If you have to look along the shaft of an arrow from the wrong end, if a man has you entirely at his mercy, then hope like hell that man is an evil man, because the evil like power, power over people, and they want to see you in fear. They want you to know you're going to die. So they'll talk. They'll gloat. They'll watch you squirm. They'll put off the moment of murder like another man will put off a good cigar. So hope like hell your captor is an evil man. A good man will kill you with hardly a word. Then, to his everlasting horror, he heard Carrot stand up. Dr. Cruces, I arrest you for the murder of Bjorn Hammerhock, Edward de Eth, Beano the Clown, Lettuce Nibs, and Acting Constable Cuddy of the City Watch. Dear me, all those. I'm afraid Edward killed Brother Beano. That was his own idea, the little fool. He said he hadn't meant to, and I understand that Hammerhock was killed accidentally. A freak accident. He poked around, and the charge fired, and the slug bounced off his anvil and killed him. That's what Edward said. He came to see me afterwards. He was very upset. Made a clean breast of the whole thing, you know. So I killed him. Well, what else could I do? He was quite mad. There's no dealing with that sort of person. May I suggest you step back, sire? I'd prefer not to shoot you. No, not unless I have to. It seemed to Vimes that Cruces was arguing with himself. The gun swung violently. He was babbling, said Cruces. He said the gun killed Hammerhock. I said it was an accident, and he said, no, no accident. The gun killed Hammerhock. Carrot took another step forward. Cruces seemed to be in his own world now. No, the gun killed the beggar girl too. It wasn't me. Why should I do a thing like that? Cruces took a step back, but the gun swung up towards Carrot. It looked to Vimes as though it moved of its own accord like an animal sniffing the air. Get down, Vimes hissed. He reached out and tried to find his crossbow. He said the gun was jealous. Hammerhock would have made more guns. Stop where you are. Carrot took another step. I had to kill Edward. He was a romantic. He would have got it wrong. But Ankh Morpork needs a king. The gun jerked and fired at the same moment as Carrot leapt sideways. The tunnels were brilliant with smells, mostly the acrid yellows and earthy oranges of ancient drains, and there were hardly any air currents to disturb things. The line that was Cruces snaked through the heavy air, and there was the smell of the gone, as vivid as a wound. I smelled gone in the guild, she thought, just after Cruces walked past, and Gaspode said that was all right because the gone had been in the guild, but it hadn't been fired in the guild. I smelled it because someone there had fired the thing. She splashed through the water into the big cavern and saw with her nose, the three of them, the indistinct figure that smelled of vimes, the falling figure that was carrot, the turning shape with the gone. 
and then she stopped thinking with her head and let her body take over. Wolf muscle drove her forward and up into a leap, water droplets flying from her mane, her eyes fixed on Cruz's neck. The gun fired four times. It didn't miss once. She hit the man heavily, knocking him backwards. Vimes rose in an explosion of spray. Six shots! That's six shots, you bastard! I've got you now! Cruces turned as Vimes waded towards him and scurried towards a tunnel, throwing up more spray. Vimes snatched the bow from Carrot, aimed desperately and pulled the trigger. Nothing happened. Carrot, you idiot! You never cocked the damned thing! Vimes turned. Come on, man, we can't let him get away! It's Angua, Captain. What? She's dead. Carrot, listen. Can you find the way out in this stuff? No, so come with me. I can't leave her here. I... Corporal Carrot, follow me. Vimes half ran, half waded through the rising water towards the tunnel that had swallowed Cruces. It was up a slope. He could feel the water dropping as he ran. Never give the quarry time to rest. He'd learned that on his first day in the watch. If you had to chase, then stay with it. Give the pursued time to stop and think and you'd go round a corner to find a sock full of sand coming the other way. The walls and ceiling were closing in. There were other tunnels here. Carrot had been right. Hundreds of people must have worked for years to build this. What Ankh Morpork was built on was Ankh Morpork. Vimes stopped. There was no sound of splashing and tunnel mouths all around. Then there was a flash of light up a side tunnel. Vimes scrambled towards it and saw a pair of legs in a shaft of light from an open trapdoor. He launched himself at them and caught a boot just as it was disappearing into the room above. It kicked at him and he heard Cruces hit the floor. Vimes grabbed at the edge of the hatchway and struggled through it. This wasn't a tunnel, it looked like a cellar. He slipped on mud and hit a wall clammy with slime. What was Ark Morpork built on? Right. Cruces was only a few yards away, scrambling and slipping up a flight of steps. There had been a door at the top, but it had long ago rotted. There were more steps and more rooms. Fire and flood, flood and rebuilding. Rooms had become cellars, cellars had become foundations... It wasn't an elegant pursuit. Both men slithered and fell, clambered up again, fought their way through hanging curtains of slime. Cruces had left candles here and there. They gave just enough light to make Vimes wish they didn't. And then there was dry stone underfoot, and this wasn't a door, but a hole knocked through a wall. And there were barrels and sticks of furniture, ancient stuff that had been locked up and forgotten. Cruces was lying a few feet away, fighting for breath and hammering another rack of pipes into the gun. Vimes managed to pull himself up onto his hands and knees and gulped air. There was a candle wedged into the wall nearby. Got you, he panted. Cruces tried to get to his feet, still clutching the gun. You're too old to run, Vimes managed. Cruces made it upright and lurched away. Vimes thought about it. I'm too old to run, he added and leapt. The two men rolled in the dust, the gun between them. It struck Vimes much later that the last thing any man of sense would do was fight an assassin. They had concealed weapons everywhere. But Cruces wasn't going to let go of the gun. He held it grimly in both hands, trying to hit Vimes with the barrel or the butt. Curiously enough, assassins learned hardly any unarmed combat. They were generally good enough at armed combat not to need it. Gentlemen bore arms. Only the lower classes used their hands. "'I've got you!' Vimes panted. "'You're under arrest. Be under arrest, will you?' But Cruces wouldn't let go. Vimes didn't dare let go. The gun would be twisted out of his grip. It was pulled backwards and forwards between them in desperate grunting concentration. The gun exploded. There was a tongue of red fire, a firework stink, and a zing-zing noise from three walls. 
Something struck Vimes's helmet and zinged away towards the ceiling. Vimes stared at Cruz's contorted features, then he lowered his head and yanked the gun hard. The assassin screamed and let go, clutching at his nose. Vimes rolled back, gun in both hands. It moved. Suddenly the stock was against his shoulder and his finger was on the trigger. You're mine. We don't need him any more. The shock of the voice was so great that he cried out. He swore afterwards that he didn't pull the trigger. It moved of its own accord, pulling his finger with it. The gun slammed into his shoulder and a six-inch hole appeared in the wall by the assassin's head, spraying him with plaster. Vimes was vaguely aware, through the red mist rising around his vision, of Cruces staggering to a door and lurching through it, slamming it behind him. All that you hate, all that is wrong, I can put it right. Vimes reached the door and tried the handle. It was locked. He brought the gun around, not aware of thinking, and let the trigger pull his finger again. A large area of the door and frame became a splinter-bordered hole. Vimes kicked the rest of it away and followed the gun. He was in a passageway. A dozen young men were looking at him in astonishment from half-open doors. They were all wearing black. He was inside the Assassin's Guild. A trainee assassin looked at Vimes with his nostrils. Who are you, pray? The gun swung towards him. Vimes managed to haul the barrel upwards just as it fired, and the shot took away a lot of ceiling. The law, you sons of bitches, he shouted. They stared at him. Shoot them all. Clean up the world. Shut up. Vimes, a red-eyed, dust-coated, slime-dripping thing from out of the earth, glared at the quaking student. Where did Croesus go? The mist rolled around his head. His hand creaked with the effort of not firing. The young man jerked a finger urgently towards a flight of stairs. He'd been standing very close when the gun fired. Plaster dust draped him like devil's dandruff. The gun sped away again, dragging Vimes past the boys and up the stairs where black mud still trailed. There was another corridor there. Doors were opening, doors closed again after the gun fired again, smashing a chandelier. The corridor gave out onto a wide landing at the top of a much more impressive flight of stairs and opposite a big oaken door. Vimes shot the lock off, kicked at the door and then fought the gun long enough to duck. A crossbow bolt whirred over his head and hit someone far down the corridor. Shoot him! Shoot him! Cruces was standing by his desk, feverishly trying to slot another bolt into his bow. Vimes tried to silence the singing in his ears. But why not? Why not fire? Who was this man? He'd always wanted to make the city a cleaner place, and he might as well start here, and then people would find out what the law was. Clean up the world! Noon started. The cracked bronze bell in the teacher's guild began the chime, and had midday all to itself for at least seven clangs before the guild of baker's clock, running fast, caught up with it. Cruces straightened up and began to edge towards the cover of one of the stone pillars. You can't shoot me, he said, watching the gun. I know the law, and so do you. You're a guard. You can't shoot me in cold blood. Vimes squinted along the barrel. It'd be so easy. The trigger tugged at his finger. A third bell began chiming. You can't just kill me. That's the law. And you're a guard, Dr. Cruces repeated. He licked his dry lips. The barrel lowered a little. Cruces almost relaxed. Yes, I am a guard. The barrel rose again, pointed at Cruces's forehead. But when the bells stop, said Vimes quietly, 
I won't be a guard any more. Shoot him. Shoot him. Vimes forced the butt under his arm so that he had one hand free. We'll do it by the rules, he said. By the rules. Got to do it by the rules. Without looking down, he tugged his badge off the remains of his jacket. Even through the mud, it still had a gleam. He'd always kept it polished. When he spun it once or twice like a coin, the copper caught the light. Cruces watched it like a cat. The bells were slackening. Most of the towers had stopped. Now there was only the sound of the gong on the Temple of Small Gods and the bells of the Assassin's Guild, which were always fashionably late. The gong stopped. Dr. Cruces put the crossbow neatly and meticulously on the desk beside him. There, I've put it down. Ah, said Vimes, but I want to make sure you don't pick it up again. The black bell of the Assassin's Guild hammered its way to noon and stopped. Silence slammed in like a thunderclap. The little metallic sound as Vimes's badge bounced on the floor filled it from edge to edge. He raised the gun and gently let the tension ease out of his hand. A bell started. It was a tinny, jolly little tune, barely to be heard at all except in this pool of silence. Cling, bing, bing, bong, bing, bong, cling, bong. But much more accurate than hourglasses, water clocks and pendulums. Put down the gun, Captain, said Carrot, climbing slowly up the stairs. He held his sword in one hand and the presentation watch in the other. Bing-a-bing-a-bing, cling-bong-bong. Vimes didn't move. Put it down. Put it down now, Captain. I can wait out another bell, said Vimes. A-bing-a-bing-a-bing. Can't let you do that, Captain. It'll be murder. Clong-a-bing-bong. You stop me, will you? Yes. Bing. Bing. Vimes turned his head slightly. He killed Agua. Doesn't that mean anything to you? Bing. 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 Carrot nodded. Yes, but personal isn't the same as important. Vimes looked along his arm. The face of Dr. Cruz's mouth, open in terror, pivoted on the tip of the barrel. Bing, 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 bing. Captain Vimes? Bing. Captain. Badge 177, Captain. It's never had more than dirt on it. The pounding spirit of the gun flowing up Vimes's arms met the armies of sheer stone-headed Vimesness surging the other way. I should put it down, Captain. You don't need it, said Carrot, like someone speaking to a child. Vimes stared at the thing in his hands. The screaming was muted now. Put that down, watchman. That's an order. The gun hit the floor. Vimes saluted and then realised what he was doing. He blinked at Carrot. Personal isn't the same as important, he said. Listen, Cruces said, I'm sorry about the, 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 the girl. That was an, an accident, but I only wanted... There's evidence. There's a... Cruces was hardly paying attention to the watchman. He pulled a leather satchel off the table and waved it at them. It's here, all of it, sire. Evidence. Edward was stupid. He thought it was all crowns and ceremony. He had no idea what he'd found. And then, last night, it was as if... I'm not interested, mumbled Vimes. The city needs a king. It does not need murderers, said Carrot. But, and then Cruces dived for the gun and scooped it up. One moment Vimes was trying to reassemble his thoughts, and the next they were fleeing to far corners of his consciousness. He was looking into the mouth of the gun. It grinned at him. 
Crucis slumped against the pillar, but the gong remained steady, pointing itself at Vimes. "'It's all there, sire,' he said. "'Everything written down, the whole thing. "'Birthmarks and prophecies and genealogy and everything. "'Even your sword. "'It's the sword.' "'Really?' said Carrot. "'May I see?' Carrot lowered his sword, and to Vimes's horror walked over to the desk and pulled the bundle of documents out of the case. Cruces nodded approvingly, as if rewarding a good boy. Carrot read a page and turned to the next one. "'This is interesting,' he said. "'Exactly, but now we must remove this annoying policeman,' said Cruces. Vimes felt that he could see all the way along the tube to the little slug of metal that was soon to launch itself at him. "'It's a shame,' said Cruces. "'If only you had—' Carrot stepped in front of the gun. His arm moved in a blur. There was hardly a sound. "'Pray you never face a good man,' Vimes thought. "'He'll kill you with hardly a word.' Cruces looked down. There was blood on his shirt. He raised a hand to the sword hilt protruding from his chest and looked back up into Carrot's eyes. But why? You could have been... And he died. The gun fell from his hands and fired at the floor. There was silence. Carrot grasped the hilt of his sword and pulled it back. The body slumped. Vimes leaned on the table and fought to get his breath back. <sighs> Damn, he's hide. He panted. Sir? He called you sire, he said. What was in that? You're late, Captain, said Carrot. Late? Late? What do you mean? Vimes fought to prevent his brain parting company with reality. You were supposed to have been married. Carrot looked at the watch, then snapped it shut and handed it to Vimes. Two minutes ago. Yes. Yes, but he called you sire. I heard him. Uh, just a trick of the echo, I expect, Mr Vimes. A thought broke through to Vimes's attention. Carrot's sword was a couple of feet long. He'd run Cruces clean through, but Cruces had been standing with his back to... Vimes looked at the pillar. It was granite and a foot thick. There was no cracking. There was just a blade-shaped hole front to back. Carrot, he began, and you look a mess, sir. Got to get you cleaned up. Carrot pulled the leather satchel towards him and slung it over his shoulder. Carrot, sir, I order you to give... No, sir, you can't order me, because you are now, sir, no offence meant, a civilian. It's a new life. A civilian? Vimes rubbed his forehead. It was all colliding in his brain now. The gone, the sewers, Carrot and the fact that he'd been operating on pure adrenaline, which soon presents its bill and does not give credit. He sagged. But this is my life, Carrot. This is my job. A hot bath and a drink, sir. That's what you need, said Carrot. Do you a world of good. Let's go. Vimes's gaze took in the fallen body of Cruces and then the gun. He went to pick it up and stopped himself in time. Not even the wizards had something like this. One burst from a staff and they had to go and lie down. No wonder no one had destroyed it. You couldn't destroy something as perfect as this. It called out to something deep in the soul. Hold it in your hand and you had power. More power than any bow or spear. They just stored up your own muscles' power when you thought about it. But the gone gave you power from outside. You didn't use it. It used you. Cruces had probably been a good man. He'd probably listened kindly enough to Edward. And then he'd taken the gone. And he'd belonged to it as well. Captain Vimes, I think we'd better get that out of here said Carrot, reaching down. Whatever you do, don't...
touch it, Vimes warned. Why not? It's only a device, said Carrot. He picked up the gun by the barrel, regarded it for a moment, and then smashed it against the wall. Bits of metal pinwheeled away. One of a kind, he said. One of a kind is always special, my father used to say. Let's be going. He opened the door. He shut the door. There's about a hundred assassins at the bottom of the stairs, he said. How many bolts have you got for your bow? said Vimes. He was still staring at the twisted gun. One? Then it's a good thing you won't have any chance to reload anyway. There was a polite knock at the door. Carrot glanced at Vimes, who shrugged. He opened the door. It was Downey. He raised an empty hand. You can put down your weapons. I assure you they will not be necessary. Where is Dr. Cruces? Carrot pointed. Ah. He glanced up at the two watchmen. Would you please leave his body with us? We will inhume him in our crypt. Vimes pointed at the body. He killed, and now he is dead, and now I must ask you to leave. Downey opened the door. Assassins lined the wide stairs. There wasn't a weapon in sight, but with assassins there didn't need to be. At the bottom lay the body of Angua. The watchman walked down slowly, and Carrot knelt and picked it up. He nodded to Downey. "'Shortly we will be sending someone to collect the body of Dr. Cruces,' he said. "'But I thought we had agreed that, no, it must be seen that he is dead. "'Things must be seen. Things mustn't happen in the dark or behind closed doors.' "'I'm afraid I cannot accede to your request,' said the assassin firmly. "'It wasn't a request, sir.' Scores of assassins watched them walk across the courtyard. The black gates were shut. No one seemed about to open them. "'I agree with you, but perhaps you should have put that another way,' said Vimes. "'They don't look at all happy.' The doors shattered. A six-foot iron arrow passed Carrot and Vimes and removed a large section of wall on the far side of the courtyard. A couple of blows removed the rest of the gates, and Detritus stepped through. He looked around at the assembled assassins, a red glow in his eyes, and growled. It dawned on the smarter assassins that there was nothing in their armoury that could kill a troll. They had fine stiletto knives, but they needed sledgehammers. They had darts armed with exquisite poisons, none of which worked on a troll. No one had ever thought trolls were important enough to be assassinated. Suddenly Detritus was very important indeed. He had cut his axe in one hand and his mighty crossbow in the other. Some of the brighter assassins turned and ran for it. Some were not as bright. A couple of arrows bounced off Detritus. Their owners saw his face as he turned towards them and dropped their bows. Detritus hefted his club. Acting Constable Detritus! The words rang out across the courtyard. Acting Constable Detritus, attention! Detritus very slowly raised his hand. Think. You listen to me, Acting Constable Detritus, said Carrot. If there's a heaven for watchmen, and God's I hope there is, then Acting Constable Cuddy is there right now, drunk as a bloody monkey, with a rat in one hand and a pint of bear huggers in the other, and he's looking up at us right now, to trolls heaven is below, and he's saying, my friend Acting Constable Detritus won't forget he's a guard, not Detritus. There was a long, dangerous moment, and then another dink. "'Thank you, Acting Constable. You'll escort Mr. Vimes to the University.' Carrot looked around at the assassins. "'Good afternoon, gentlemen. We may be back.' The three watchmen stepped over the wreckage. Vimes said nothing until they were well out into the street, and then he turned to Carrot. "'Why did he call you?' "'If you'll excuse me, I'll take her back to the watch-house.'
Vimes looked down at Angua's corpse and felt a train of thought derail itself. Some things were too hard to think about. He wanted a nice quiet hour somewhere to put it all together. Personal isn't the same as important. What sort of a person could think like that? And it dawned on him that while Ankh in the past had had its share of evil rulers, and simply bad rulers, it had never yet come under the heel of a good ruler. That might be the most terrifying prospect of all. Sir, said Carrot politely. Uh, we'll bury her up at small gods. How about that, said Vimes. It's a sort of watch tradition. Yes, sir. You go off with Detritus. He's all right when you give him orders. If you don't mind, I don't think I'll be along to the wedding. You know how it is. Yes. Yes, of course. Um, Carrot? Vimes blinked to drive away suspicions that clamoured for consideration. We shouldn't be too hard on Cruces. I hated the bastard like hell, so I want to be fair to him. I know what the Gon does to people. We're all the same to the Gon. I'd have been just like him. No, Captain, you put it down. Vimes smiled wanly. They call me Mr Vimes, he said. Carrot walked back to the watchhouse and laid the body of Angua on the slab in the makeshift morgue. Rigor mortis was already setting in. He fetched some water and cleaned her fur as best he could. What he did next would have surprised, say, a troll or a dwarf or anyone who didn't know about the human mind's reaction to stressful circumstances. He wrote his report. He swept the main room's floor. There was a rotor, and it was his turn. He had a wash. He changed his shirt and dressed the wound on his shoulder and cleaned his armour, rubbing with wire wool and a graded series of cloths until he could once again see his face in it. He heard far off Fondel's wedding march, scored for monstrous organ with miscellaneous farmyard noises accompaniment. He fished out a half-bottle of rum from what Sergeant Colon thought was his secure hiding place, poured himself a very small amount, and drank a toast to the sound, saying, "'Here's to Mr Vimes and Lady Ramkin,' in a clear, sincere voice which would have severely embarrassed anyone who had heard it. There was a scratching at the door. He let Gaspode in. The little dog slunk under the table, saying nothing. Then Carrot went up to his room and sat in his chair and looked out of the window. The afternoon wore on. The rain stopped around tea-time. Lights came on all over the city. Presently the moon rose. The door opened. Angua entered, walking softly. Carrot turned and smiled. I wasn't certain, he said, but I thought, well, isn't it only silver that kills them? I just had to hope. It was two days later. The rain had set in. It didn't pour. It slouched out of the grey clouds, running in rivulets through the mud. It filled the ark which slurped once again through its underground kingdom. It poured from the mouths of gargoyles. It hit the ground so hard there was a sort of mist of ricochets. It drummed off the gravestones in the cemetery behind the Temple of Small Gods and into the small pit dug for acting Constable Cuddy. There were always only guards at a guard's funeral, Vimes told himself. Oh, sometimes there were relatives like Lady Ramkin and Detritus's Ruby here today, but you never got crowds. Perhaps Carrot was right. When you became a guard, you stopped being everything else. Although there were other people today, standing silently at the railings around the cemetery. They weren't at the funeral, but they were watching it. There was a small priest who gave the generic fill-in-deceased's-name-here service, designed to be vaguely satisfactory to any gods who might be listening. Then Detritus lowered the coffin into the grave, and the priest threw a ceremonial handful of dirt onto the coffin, except that instead of the rattle of soil there was a very final splat. And Carrot, to Vimes's surprise, made a speech. 
It echoed across the soggy ground to the rain-dripping trees. It was really based around the only text you could use on this occasion. He was my friend, he was one of us, he was a good copper. He was a good copper. That had got said at every guard funeral Vimes had ever attended. It had probably be said even at Corporal Nobbs's funeral, although everyone would have their fingers crossed behind their backs. It was what you had to say. Vimes stared at the coffin, and then a strange feeling came creeping over him, as insidiously as the rain trickling down the back of his neck. It wasn't exactly a suspicion. If it had stayed in his mind long enough, it would have been a suspicion. But right now, it was only a faint tingle of a hunch. He had to ask. He'd never stop thinking about it if he didn't at least ask. So, as they were walking away from the grave, he said, Corporal? Yes, sir? No one's found the gone, then? No, sir. Someone said you had it last. I must have put it down somewhere. You know how busy it all was. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm pretty sure I saw you carry most of it out of the guild. Must have done, sir. Yes. Um, I hope you put it somewhere safe, then. Do you, um... Do you think you left it somewhere safe? Behind them, the gravedigger began to shovel the wet, clinging loam of Ankh Morpork into the hole. I think I must have done, sir, don't you? Seeing as no one has found it. I mean, we'd soon know if anyone had found it. Maybe it's all for the best, Corporal Carrot. I certainly hope so. He was a good copper. Yes, sir. Vimes went for broke. And... It seemed to me, as we were carrying that little coffin, slightly uh, heavier. Really, sir? I couldn't say I noticed. But at least he's got a proper dwarf burial. Oh, yes, I saw to that, sir, said Carrot. The rain gurgled off the roofs of the palace. The gargoyles had taken up their stations at every corner, straining gnats and flies via their ears. Corporal Carrot shook the drops off his leather rain cape and exchanged salutes with the troll on guard. He strolled through the clerks in the outer rooms and knocked respectfully on the door of the oblong office. Come! Carrot entered, marched to the desk and saluted and stood at ease. Lord Vetinari tensed very slightly. Oh, yes, he said. Corporal Carrot. I was expecting something like this. I'm sure you've come to ask me for something. Carrot unfolded a piece of grubby paper and cleared his throat. <clears throat> well, sir, we could do with a new dartboard, you know, for when we're off duty. The patrician blinked. It was not often that he blinked. I beg your pardon? A new dartboard, sir. It helps the men relax after their shift, sir. Vetinari recovered a little. Another one? But you had one only last year. It's the librarian, sir. Nobby lets him play and he just leans a bit and hammers the darts in with his fist. It ruins the board. Anyway, detritus threw one through it. Through the wall behind it, too. Very well. And? Well, acting constable detritus needs to be let off having to pay for five holes in his breastplate. Granted. Tell him not to do it again. Yes, sir. Well, I think that's about it. "'Except for a new kettle.' "'The patrician's hand moved in front of his lips. "'He was trying not to smile. "'Dear me, another kettle as well. "'What happened to the old one? "'Oh, we still use it, sir, we still use it, "'but we're going to need another because of the new arrangements.' "'I'm sorry, what new arrangements?' "'Carrot unfolded a second and rather larger piece of paper. 
the watch to be brought up to an establishment strength of 56, the old watch houses at the River Gate, the Diosil Gate and the Hubwards Gate to be reopened and manned on a 24-hour basis. The patrician's smile remained, but his face seemed to pull away from it, leaving it stranded and all alone in the world. A department for, well, we haven't got a name for it yet, but for looking at clues and things like dead bodies, e.g. how long they've been dead, and to start with, we'll need an alchemist, and possibly a ghoul, provided they promise not to take anything home and eat it. A special unit using dogs, which could be very useful, and Lance Constable Angua can deal with that, since she can, um, be her own handler a lot of the time. A request here from Corporal Nobbs that watchmen be allowed all the weapons they can carry, although I'd be obliged if you said no to that. Uh, Lord Vetinari waved a hand. All right, all right, he said. I can see how this is going. And supposing I say no? There was another of those long, long pauses wherein may be seen the possibilities of several different futures. Do you know, sir, I never even considered that you'd say no. You didn't? No, sir. I'm intrigued. Why not? It's all for the good of the city, sir. Do you know where the word policeman comes from? It means man of the city, sir, from the old word polis. Yes, I do know. The patrician looked at Carrot. He seemed to be shuffling futures in his head. Then, yes, I accede to all the requests, except the one involving Corporal Nobbs. And you, I think, should be promoted to captain. Yes, I agree, sir. That would be a good thing for Ankh Morpork, but I will not command the watch, if that's what you mean. Why not? Because I could command the watch. Because people should do things because an officer tells them. They shouldn't do it just because Corporal Carrot says so. Just because Corporal Carrot is... is... good at being obeyed. Carrot's face was carefully blank. An interesting point... But there used to be a rank, in the old days, commander of the watch. I suggest Samuel Vimes. The patrician leaned back. Oh, yes, he said. Commander of the watch. Of course, that became a rather unpopular job after all that business with Lorenzo the Kind. It was a Vimes who held the post in those days. I've never liked to ask him if he was an ancestor. He was, sir. I looked it up. Would he accept? Is the high priest an Ophlian? Does a dragon explode in the woods? The patrician steepled his fingers and looked at Carrot over the top of them. It was a mannerism that had unnerved many. But you see, Captain, the trouble with Sam Vimes is that he upsets a lot of important people, and I think that a commander of the Watch would have to move in very exalted circles, attend guild functions. They exchanged glances. The patrician got the best of the bargain, since Carrot's face was bigger. Both of them were trying not to grin. "'An excellent choice, in fact,' said the patrician. "'I'd taken the liberty, sir, of drafting a letter to the cap uh, to Mr. Vimes on your behalf, just to save you the trouble, sir. Perhaps you'd care to have a look?' "'You think of everything, don't you?' "'I hope so, sir.' Lord Vetinari read the letter. He smiled once or twice, then he picked up his pen, signed at the bottom, and handed it back. "'And that is the last of your demand—er, uh, requests?' Carrot scratched his ear. "'There is one, actually. I need a home for a small dog. It must have a large garden, a warm spot by the fire, and happy laughing children.' 
Good heavens, really? Well, I suppose we can find one. Thank you, sir. Um, that's all, I think. The patrician stood up and limped over to the window. It was dusk. Lights were being lit all over the city. With his back to Carrot, he said, Tell me, Captain, this business about there being an heir to the throne. What do you think about it? I don't think about it, sir. That's all sword-in-a-stone nonsense. Kings don't come out of nowhere waving a sword and putting everything right. Everyone knows that. But there was some talk of evidence. No one seems to know where it is, sir. When I spoke to Captain... Um, uh, to Commander Vimes, he said you'd got it. Then I must have put it down somewhere. I'm sure I couldn't say where, sir. My word, I hope you absent-mindedly put it down somewhere safe. I'm sure it's well-guarded, sir. I think you have learned a lot from Captain Commander Vimes, Captain. Sir, my father always said I was a quick learner, sir. Perhaps the city does need a king, though. Have you considered that? Like a fish needs a, 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 a thing that doesn't work underwater, sir. Yet a king can appeal to the emotions of his subjects, Captain, in very much the same way as you did recently, I understand. Yes, sir, but what will he do next day? You can't treat people like puppet dolls, no, sir. Mr Vimes always said a man has got to know his limitations. If there was a king, then the best thing he could do would be to get on with a decent day's work. Indeed. But if there was some pressing need, then perhaps he'd think again. Carrot brightened up. It's a bit like being a guard, really. When you need us, you really need us, and when you don't, well, best if we just walk around the streets and shout all's well. Providing all is well, of course. Captain Carrot, said Lord Vetinari, because we understand one another so well, and I think we do understand one another, there is something I'd like to show you. Come this way. He led the way into the throne room, which was empty at this time of day. As he hobbled across the wide floor, he pointed ahead of him. I expect you know what this is, Captain. Oh, yes, the golden throne of Ankh Morpork, and no one has sat in it for many hundreds of years. Have you ever wondered about it? Exactly what do you mean, sir? So much gold, when even the brass has been stripped off the brass bridge. Take a look behind the throne, will you? Carrot mounted the steps. Good grief! The patrician looked over his shoulder. It's just gold foil over wood. Quite so. It was hardly even wood any more. Rot and worms had fought one another to a standstill over the last biodegradable fragment. Carrot prodded it with his sword, and part of it drifted gently away in a puff of dust. What do you think about this, Captain? Carrot stood up. On the whole, sir, it's probably just as well that people don't know. So I have always thought. Well, I will not keep you. I'm sure you have a lot to organise. Carrot saluted. Thank you, sir. I gather that you and, um, Constable Angua are getting along well? We have a very good understanding, sir. Of course, there will be minor difficulties, said Carrot, but to look on the positive side, I've got someone who's always ready for a walk around the city. As Carrot had his hand on the door handle, Lord Vetinari called out to him. Yes, sir? 
Carrot looked back at the tall, thin man standing in the big bare room beside the golden throne filled with decay. You're a man interested in words, Captain. I'd just invite you to consider something your predecessor never fully grasped. Sir? Have you ever wondered where the word politician comes from? said the patrician. "'And then there's the Committee of the Sunshine Sanctuary,' said Lady Ramkin from her side of the dining-table. "'We must get you on that, and the Country Landowners Association, and the Friendly Flamethrowers League. "'Cheer up. You'll find your time will just fill up like nobody's business.' "'Yes, dear,' said Vimes. "'The days stretched ahead of him, just filling up like nobody's business, with committees and good works, and nobody's business. "'It was probably better than walking the streets.' Lady Sybil and Mr. Vimes. He sighed. Sybil Vimes, nay Ramkin, looked at him with an expression of faint concern. For as long as she'd known him, Sam Vimes had been vibrating with the internal anger of a man who wants to arrest the gods for not doing it right. And then he'd handed in his badge, and he was, well, not exactly Sam Vimes anymore. The clock in the corner chimed eight o'clock. Vimes pulled out his presentation watch and opened it. That clock's five minutes fast, he said, above the tinkling chimes. He snapped the lid shut and read again the words on it. A watch from your old friends in the watch. Carrot had been behind that, sure enough. Vimes had grown to recognise that blindness to the position of eyes and ease and the wanton cruelty to the common comma. They said goodbye to you, they took you out of the measure of your days, and they gave you a watch. Excuse me, milady. "'Yes, Willikins, there is a watchman at the door, milady. the tradesman's entrance.' "'You sent a watchman to the tradesman's entrance?' said Lady Sybil. "'No, milady, that's the one he came to. It's Captain Carrot.' Vimes put his hand over his eyes. "'He's been made a captain and he comes to the back door,' he said. "'That's Carrot, that is. Bring him on in.' It was barely noticeable, except to Vimes, but the butler glanced at Lady Ramkin for her approval. "'Do as your master says,' she said gallantly. "'I'm no one's master,' Vimes began. "'Now, Sam,' said Lady Ramkin. "'Well, I'm not,' said Vimes sullenly. Carrot marched in and stood to attention. As usual, the room subtly became a mere background to him. "'It's all right, lad,' said Vimes, as nicely as he could manage. "'You don't need to salute.' "'Yes, I do, sir,' said Carrot. He handed Vimes an envelope. It had the seal of the patrician on it. Vimes picked up a knife and broke the seal.' "'Probably charging me five dollars for unnecessary wear and tear on my chainmail,' he said. "'His lips moved as he read. "'Blimey,' he said eventually. "'Fifty-six? "'Yes, sir. Detritus is looking forward to breaking the bean. "'Including undead? "'It says here open to all regardless of species or mortal status.' "'Yes, sir,' said Carrot firmly. "'They're all citizens.' "'You mean we could have vampires in the watch?' "'Very good on night duty, sir, and aerial surveillance. "'And always useful if you want to stake out somewhere. "'Yes, sir?' "'Vimes watched the feeble pun go right through Carrot's head "'without triggering his brain. "'He turned back to the paper. "'Hmm. Pensions for widows, I see. "'Yes, sir. "'Reopening the old watchhouses. "'That's what he says, sir.' "'Vimes read on.' We consider particularly that this enlarged watch will need an experienced man in charge who is held in esteem by all parts of society, and we are convinced that you should fulfil this role. 
You will therefore take up your duties immediately as commander of the Ark Morpork City Watch. This post traditionally carries with it the ranky of night, which we are minded to resurrect on this one occasion. Hoping this finds you in good health, yours faithfully, Havelock Vetinari Patrician. Vimes read it again. He drummed his fingers on the table. There was no doubt that the signature was genuine, but... Corpor... Uh, Captain Carrot? Sir! Carrot stared straight ahead of him with the glistening air of one busting with duty and efficiency and an absolute resolve to duck and dodge any direct questions put to him. I... Vimes picked up the paper again and put it down, picked it up, and then passed it over to Sybil. My word, she said, a knighthood. Not a moment too soon either. Oh, no, not me. You know what I think about the so-called aristocrats in this city, apart from you, Sybil, of course. Perhaps it's about time the general stock was improved then, said Lady Ramkin. His lordship did say, said Carrot, that no part of the package was negotiable, sir. I mean, it's all or nothing, if you understand me. All? Yes, sir. Or nothing? Yes, sir. Vimes drummed his fingers on the table. You've won, haven't you? he said. You've won. Sir? Don't understand, sir, said Carrot, radiating honest ignorance. There was another dangerous silence. But of course, said Vimes, there's no possible way I could oversee this sort of thing. What do you mean, sir? said Carrot. Vimes pulled the candelabra towards him and thumped the paper with a finger. Well, look what it says here. I mean, opening those old watch houses, on the gates. What's the point in that? Right out there on the edge. Oh, I'm sure matters of organisational detail can be changed, sir, said Carrot. Keep a general gate guard, yes, but if you're going to have any kind of finger on the pulse of... Look, you'd need one along Elm Street somewhere, close to the Shades and the docks, and another one halfway up Short Street, and maybe a smaller one in Kingsway. Somewhere up there, anyway. You've got to think about population centres. How many men based per watch house? I thought ten, sir, allowing for shifts. Nah, can't do that. Use six at most. A corporal, say, and one other per shift. The rest you'll move around on a uh, monthly rotor. You want to keep everyone on their toes, yes? And that way everyone gets to walk every street. That's very important. And I uh, wish I had a map here. Oh, thank you, dear. Right, now, see here. You've got a strength of 56 nominal, OK? But you're taking over day watch, too. Plus, you've got to allow for days off. Two grandmother's funerals per year per man. Gods know how your undead'll sort that one out. Maybe they get time off to go to their own funerals. Then there's sickness and so on. So we want four shifts staggered around the city. Got a light? Thanks. We don't want the whole guard changing shift at once. On the other hand, you've got to allow each watchhouse officer a certain amount of initiative. But we should maintain a special squad in Pseudopolis Yard for emergencies. Look, give me that pencil. Now, uh, give me the notebook. Right. Cigar smoke filled the room. The little presentation watch played every quarter of an hour, entirely unheeded. Lady Sybil smiled and shut the door behind her and went to feed the dragons. Dearest Mum and Dad, Well, here is amazing news, for I am now captain. It has been a very busy and varied week all round, as I shall now recount. And only one thing more... There was a large house in one of the nicer areas of Ankh, with a spacious garden with a children's treehouse in it, and quite probably a warm spot by the fire, and a window, breaking.
Gaspode landed on the lawn and ran like hell towards the fence. Flower-scented bubbles streamed out of his coat. He was wearing a ribbon with a bow on it and carrying in his mouth a bowl labelled Mr Huggy. He dug his way frantically under the fence and squirmed into the road. A fresh pile of horse droppings took care of the floral smell and five minutes of scratching removed the bow. Not a bloody flea left, he moaned, dropping the bowl. And I nearly had the complete set. Well, I'm out of that. Gaspode brightened up. It was Tuesday. That meant steak and suspicious organs pie at the Thieves' Guild. And the head cook there was known to be susceptible to a thumping tail and a penetrating stare. And holding an empty bowl in your mouth and looking pathetic was a sure-fire winner, if Gaspode was any judge. It shouldn't take too long to claw off Mr Huggy. Perhaps this wasn't the way it ought to be, but it was the way it was. On the whole, he reflected, it could have been a lot worse. That is the end of Men at Arms by Terry Pratchett, and it was read by Nigel Planer.